podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of the Spanish Football Podcast is sponsored by Beer 52, who this summer are offering you a free case of eight delicious craft beers. Simply go to www.beer52.com forward slash Spain and just cover the £5.95 postage to receive your free case now. Sydney, how gutted are you that the football season has come to an end? As you know, Phil, I am incredibly gutted. I'm not sure what to do with myself now. Well, Sydney, I've got great news that may soften the blow. To start off the summer break, Beer 52 are offering you and our listeners a case of free, new and exclusive beers from Spain. Free beer? Surely not. And from Spain as well. They clearly know the way to our listeners' hearts. Tell me more. So, their industry experts curate a new case every month showcasing the very best craft beer and independent breweries from around the world. Included this month is the Oso Brew Company's Fiesta, which is a balanced, refreshing and super drinkable pale ale. The hop spring big citrus and tropical fruit aromas, while the broad malt base brings a full body and rich mouth feel. Potentially one of the best things to come out of Spain since Pep. Amazing. But I do also like to have a few snacks with my beers. Can they help me out with that as well? Yeah, so do I, Sydney. And they certainly can. They come with a couple of tasty snacks, as well as the award-winning Ferment magazine, which talks about Spanish brewing. Sign me up! How do I do it? So you can get your free case of delicious craft beers from our friends at Beer 52 by simply going to www.beer52.com forward slash Spain and just covering the £5.95 postage to receive your free case now. That's beer then the numbers 52.com forward slash Spain. If after that you're unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. There's only one thing to say to that. Salud! Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. It's the final one of the season because the 22-23 campaign has come to an end. Sydney has just stepped off a plane for the final time, travelling back from a game. Hello Sydney. Hi Phil, how are you? Uh, I'm okay, I think we're both... uh... We're both fraying a little bit. We've been uh, mentioning that we're a bit tired. It's been a tiring season and we're here at the end now. And I I won't reveal the contents of our WhatsApp messages uh, this morning. But uh, let's just say that I think Sid's relatively relieved that it's it's coming to an end this season. Because it's been uh, physically challenging, let's put it like that. I was writing today about how all the people involved in in the relegation battle... We're just kind of desperate for it to end. They're exhausted and empty and just desperate for it to end. And I wrote this as part of, you know, a bigger piece, obviously, about the final day of the of the season and the relegation battle and stuff. And then, and then it occurred to me, I thought, have I just basically projected onto them here? <laughs> is this, is this actually mean, yeah. more about me than about them? <laughs> Sounds very much what you were saying to me at eight o'clock this morning. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> here's what happened then on the uh, final day of the season, match day 38. It was split into two. We had five games at 6:30 and five uh, at 9 p.m. The uh, early batch of games saw Real Madrid and Athletic Club draw 1-1 at the Bernabeu in what was Karim Benzema's final game for Real Madrid after 14 seasons, scoring his 300. And 54th goal, yes, he did score on his final game, a penalty which secured a point for Real Madrid. It was enough to earn second place for Los Blancos because Atletico Madrid conceded a 92nd minute equaliser away to Villarreal to draw 2-2. It could be a very costly 
equaliser that. Well, it is a costly equaliser. It costs Atletico Madrid about sort of anywhere between seven and eight million euros, depending on uh, what figure you uh, believe. That's the difference between finishing second and third. Uh, so Real Madrid finished second, Atletico Madrid finished third. Osasuna finished seventh. Tremendous effort from Los Rojillos. They beat Girona 2-1 and they're into the Conference League. They're back in Europe for the first time in 16 years. Congratulations to Yagoba Arrasate and his team. Uh, Mallorca beating Rio by three goals to nil. First time in a decade that Mallorca finished in the top flight in the top half of the top flight they're, they're ninth. Uh, tremendous job done by Javier Aguirre as well uh, Rio season tailing off uh, as it has done for the last couple of years and Real Sociedad beating Sevilla by uh, two goals to one. Then it was all about the relegation battle at 9pm. Six sides could go down and one did. It was Valladolid who couldn't get past Getafe not easy to get past uh, Jose Bordalas Getafe when they're in this kind of mode. They needed a point. They got it. Via the lead, nil. Getafe, nil. Uh, Getafe with 20% possession, 25 fouls in the game and 64 completed passes in the match only. Um, pretty much as, as we would have expected. So uh, Getafe stayed up. Via the lead, uh, go down. Celta Vigo also stayed up thanks to a 2-1 win against Barcelona. Uh, Gary Vega scoring both of the goals, and bursting into floods of tears at the end. Emotional for him because saving his hometown club, but also maybe, maybe it might be his last game. Uh, Elche won, Cadiz won. Shout out to Cadiz. We are very happy that Cadiz have stayed uh, in La Liga. Got a real soft spot for them. And I think the, the league is better for having a club like Cadiz and a city and a fan base like Cadiz uh, in the top flight. So well done to uh, the uh, Yellow Submarine. Espanyol 3, Almeria 3 Absolutely thrilling game. Maybe in hindsight, you should have gone to this one, Sydney, because it was uh, uh, really yeah. quite brilliant. But um, uh, Almeria were down, and then they got an 87th minute penalty, which Adrian Barba stepped up and converted, cool as you like, uh, to save them. Uh, that meant that Valladolid uh, needed, uh, needed to win, but they didn't, so Almeria stayed up. Espanyol were already down. And Betis won, Valencia won, Valencia getting the point that they needed uh, to stay up. And another goal from a youngster, Diego Lopez, scoring his third goal in four matches, getting the equaliser. Although it was nervy for Valencia because they conceded after one minute. So it was a lot nervier than they thought it might be. But there we go. That's what happened on match day 38. This is the last Monday pod of the season, but we're going to be podding all summer over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. This week, patrons are getting a Q&A pod on Tuesday, a bonus pod on Friday. Plus, you get access to the TSFP Discord. Come and join us. It's around... Four euros a month. Sid, I guess we should, I mean, we should probably start off by talking about Benzema leaving Real Madrid, but it feels like we've been so immersed in the relegation battle that actually we should probably start there, particularly since you've just got off a plane from Vigo. Yeah, um, I, I saw, you're right. It does feel like... I was thinking this today, and tell me what you think about this theory with Benzema. It kind of felt to me like Benzema kind of very quietly became the best player around. It's like we didn't mm-hmm. really notice him. And then the next thing we know, he's the Ballon d'Or winner. Now, obviously, I'm overplaying the idea that we didn't notice him because, of course, we did. But he wasn't the guy at the top of the conversations about the best players in the world. He wins the Ballon d'Or. And it's almost as if, having got to that point, it was, all right, that'll do. And now he's gone. You know, he's still the, he's still the current holder of the Ballon d'Or. And he's mm. gone. And it feels, mm. it, it feels kind of strange. It's almost as if, as if that created... That was it. This was all he wanted. He just wanted to get to the point where he was recognised 
and now he can <laughs> go and do something else. Um, uh, just mic a, drop. A, yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, mate, obviously the real mm. mic drop would have been to have won it and then literally Last just game. gone, that'll yeah. do. And this is, of course, yeah. what I've been arguing that Messi should have done post-World Cup, the day after the World Cup final, or even the night of the World Cup final, just said, listen, see you later. Um, Benzema's yeah. a curious one. We, we're talking about this a little bit off air. Because it does feel like he's a player who's not really had a storyline around him. He's just been really, really, really good at football. I think he has played a better quality of well, football. Well, there have been a few. Well, been a few this is, yeah. But this, this, is, this is what I'm coming to, exactly the point, exactly right. the point. So, you know, it feels like he's just been really good at football, I think, in terms of the way that he's played, the, the, the subtlety of his game, the technical quality of game, the understanding, the, the fact that he doesn't seem to play a game that ever means that you think, wow, look how quick he is, look how fast he is, look how, you know, look how spectacular he is. He just gets on with being better at it than anyone else with, of course, that, that asterisk, which I always talk about, the except messy asterisk. And it's felt like there hasn't been sort of a lot of noise around it. And yet that contrasts with the fact that actually off the pitch, there's been a huge amount of noise around him. You know, we've had the, the Valbuena case. We've, we've had all sorts of other off the field issues about the fact that he wasn't the French national team. There's all of these things. And yet curiously, he's been sort of media shy and he's been kind of quiet and he hasn't really felt like a, like a kind of a figure that takes our attention until suddenly he won the Ballon d'Or, admitting there was quite a lot of campaigning going on around that. And now he's gone. And it, it, it feels mm. slightly strange, actually. Or at least it does to me. Maybe, uh, you know, that's, that's an interpretive view from my point of view. You know, it might be that others see him and, and feel very differently about him. But that, that's kind of the way I felt about him. He wasn't always that demonstrative for an extraordinarily brilliant player, I, th- I felt. Yeah. Uh, you don't have Instagram, do you, Sid? I don't. Is that where I should be? Because that would that change my mind on all of this? Well, he's quite it would, wouldn't it? Well, he's, he's, I think he's quite active on Instagram and uh, demonstrative in, in in other in other ways. But yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I, I mean, and, and you know, know we, we, we were saying this before we come on air that this this idea that he sort of doesn't call attention to himself, that he doesn't grab the spotlight, and then he'll go and do a very stylized video of him driving around Miami in an extremely fast car uh, and 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 sort of being a rapper or, or, or sort of projecting himself as a rapper. And it's weird because the two things don't actually always fit together to me. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, not really. But, uh, but there we go. It's funny because we've said this before, but I don't know if we should be worried or at least it's something for discussion that a player who is the current Ballon d'Or winner, who at the start of next season would be first choice striker for Real Madrid, the most successful team in European history. And this kind of player is moving to Saudi Arabia. We're not talking, okay, he's 35. He's coming off the back of a season Mm. where he's had injuries, but he's still scored 31 goals. He might not be at his peak, 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 but he's not far off. And yet that kind of player is, is, is going to Saudi Arabia. Is that, is that a, is that a warning to us? Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, And I I haven't had the time, so apologies for this, to to, to read it properly. But literally on the way back from the airport, I was looking at these reports about the construction of four Saudi clubs becoming private enterprises with um, with investment funds behind them, Um, which I don't know if it's a way... I've not read it well enough to to have understood it. I literally had a glance at it on the way here. Um, But that suggests that there's an attempt to... To, this, this is a conscious attempt um, uh, at a national level to try and create a handful of really, really strong clubs. Now, is this something to be worried about? Well, on the face of it, you say, well, this is, this is a kind of a semi-retirement. But it's, you're right. I think it's a really important point, what you're saying. Yes, it's for a player who's 35. And in truth, it's for a player who I think, at some intuitive level, it'd be very interesting to see if he actually says this, 
knows that the decline is coming. Or, mm. or, or maybe doesn't know that it's coming, fears it might be coming. Well, I mean, it is coming. It's coming for it is coming be- decline, because, but, because he's 35. But, but I think we've seen yeah. it this year, haven't we? We haven't seen a great season from Benzema. He's still scored quite a lot of goals. We've still seen some occasionally very good performances. But the injuries yeah. and the problems he's had and the, re- the, the recurrence of what appeared to be small injuries, that's, that's when you know there's a big problem. The problem isn't mm. when there's a really big injury. It's a problem when there's a recurrence of small injuries and that rehabilitation doesn't happen the way it should. That's when you start to get concerned. So now on one level, you say, OK, well, this fits that idea of a pattern of this being a kind of a semi-retirement. And these are players who are coming to the end. So they see this as a way out. And, you know, Sucker will get saying that one of the reasons why he, he wants to stop now and leave Europe is because he wants a change of pace. He wants to take the, the pressure off. There's, you know, it's been fi- 15 years in the first team. In Benzema's case, he came to Real Madrid. It was 2009, I think, wasn't it? Um, you know, it's a long time to be in the first team every game, apart from the first sort of season and a half when there was a little bit of doubt between him and Higuain. But every game, basically, for, for 14 years. Um, and so there is a degree of, OK, this is the retirement thing, so it doesn't worry us. But you're right. This is still the guy who currently has the Ballon d'Or. And we suspect that three or four others will go as well. And then, of course, what happens is the question is, does this have a sufficient stability and financial muscle that that age at which people go there starts to creep down and it starts to creep down? Mm. And, of course, the level creeps up. And then bit by mm. bit, there's no real... Re- right, I, this, this may not please people to hear this. In fact, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who would be very unhappy to hear this. There isn't really a reason, um, from a professional point of view, why the Premier League needs to be the biggest league in the world. Right now, it's the financially the richest. It's the most watched. Yes, there is a degree of identification with the clubs, which is huge. Yes, there is. And those are good reasons. But the, the kind of why is it bigger than, say, Italy or Spain or Germany at the moment? Well, it's essentially because of the capacity to generate this interest, to get people watching, to bring some of the better players in, but not all of them in truth. And I, and I think the Premier League does have something a bit extra. But actually, if we were in a scenario in which a Saudi league could, because the money and because the rewards are so great, you know, I, mean, I, mm. I, I, I don't want to follow the figures because I just have no idea if they're true. But when you hear figures like, well, this is worth 400 million euros to Benzema, mm. uh, in, in a way, it's a total 200 brainer. Million, I think. I think it's 200. I think, it's one, it okay. I think it's 100 each, each season, yeah, not 200 each right. season. Yeah. These, these, are, these are extraordinary amounts of money. Now, admittedly, if you're at Real Madrid and you're earning 30 or 40 million a year, you're on extraordinary money anyway. You don't really need that. But, you know, it's natural, I think, that that, that creates, a, if you like, a momentum. And at some point, who knows, maybe this does become a place mm-hmm. that, that, you know, enough good players go that more good players would go. And then the level rises. And then this idea that you're taking a step down doesn't feel quite so clear cut. Um, should it worry us? I mean, it should, if only because we'd quite like to see these players play <laughs> out their careers in in Spain, where we're where we're watching them. I mean, that's <laughs> the selfish view. Yes, uh, yeah, there are all sorts of other questions. Of course, there are other questions wrapped up in it. Mm. Um, but but yeah, it, it would be concerning. You know, we 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 come at it from a Spanish perspective. It would be concerning. I think yes. Uh, speaking of questions, I'm sure people have plenty of questions about Karim Benzema, about the other departures from Real Madrid. Asensio, Hazard, Mariano uh, have all left officially, and uh, Ceballos and Nacho's futures are uncertain. If you have questions about those subjects, send us a question, and we'll answer it on tomorrow's Q and A pod. This episode of the Spanish Football Podcast is sponsored by Beer Fifty Two who this summer are offering you a free case of eight delicious craft beers. Simply go to www.beer52.com forward slash Spain 
and just cover the £5.95 postage to receive your free case now. Sydney, how gutted are you that the football season has come to an end? As you know, Phil, I am incredibly gutted. I'm not sure what to do with myself now. Well, Sydney, I've got great news that may soften the blow. To start off the summer break, Beer 52 are offering you and our listeners a case of free, new and exclusive beers from Spain. Free beer? Surely not. And from Spain as well. They clearly know the way to our listeners' hearts. Tell me more. So, their industry experts curate a new case every month showcasing the very best craft beer and independent breweries from around the world. Included this month is the Osso Brew Company's Fiesta, which is a balanced, refreshing and super drinkable pale ale. The hop spring big citrus and tropical fruit aromas, while the broad malt base brings a full body and rich mouth feel. Potentially one of the best things to come out of Spain since Pep. Amazing. But I do also like to have a few snacks with my beers. Can they help me out with that as well? Yeah, so do I, Sydney. And they certainly can. They come with a couple of tasty snacks, as well as the award-winning Ferment magazine, which talks about Spanish brewing. Sign me up! How do I do it? So you can get your free case of delicious craft beers from our friends at Beer52 by simply going to www.beer52.com forward slash Spain and just covering the £5.95 postage to receive your free case now. That's www.thewordbeer, then the numbers 52.com forward slash Spain. If after that you're unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. There's only one thing to say to that. Salud! I do want to move on because I want to get to the um, uh, relegation battle. And you chose to go to Balaidos in the end. You thought the story would Mm. be in Vigo with Celta hosting Barcelona. That wasn't really the story in the end. Although I'm I'm actually quite pleased because you you went there and you experienced a a really quite extraordinary atmosphere and an extraordinary evening of of, of football and communion between the uh, the fans and the players. So in the end, you got to you got to see that it wasn't necessarily the most uh, dramatic finale to uh, to the season for Celta because in the end they ended to winning winning the game. But uh, there was a, a pretty special air at Balaidos, or so it looked like anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and from that point of view. Um, to, 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 to coin a cliche, no regrets. No regrets at all about Gran Tobigo. Um, it, it did feel like a very, very special occasion. The number of people outside pre-game was extraordinary. The noise was fantastic. They opened that stand that hasn't been open all year for the first time. Uh, they were selling tickets to season ticket holders to give to friends mm-hmm. for only five euros. So they absolutely packed out. That's six and a half thousand, well, 6,200 seats that they hadn't had all season. I quite like that. Did you see the reason why it hadn't been open previously? It's actually been done for a few weeks, that stand, but they didn't want to open it because it's a municipal ground and they didn't want the mayor of the town to basically have, if you like, the political power of going, look, I've opened this lovely thing. So they said, we won't do this until after the elections. Obviously, they were fortunate enough the elections were last week. And so then they could, they could have it open in time for this game. That was part of the atmosphere, this sense of something building, of them being important, which was one of the reasons why I went, because as, as we were talking about this, I was saying, in a way... And forgive me for saying this, Vardalith fans or Almeria fans, if Vardalith go down or Almeria go down, having just come up, it doesn't feel particularly significant. Mm. If Celta go down, and not just because of Gary and Barry, but those two as well, after a decade in the first division, it would feel like a really big deal. The, the size of their fan base, which admittedly, you know, we're talking about a relatively small city, we're talking about a stadium, I think it's a 24,000 in total. So it's not massively bigger 
than, than for example, than Almeria. And I'm not even sure if it is bigger than Vardalith. I think probably Vardalith is slightly bigger. Mm. Um, but it, feel, it, felt, it felt like that would be a bigger thing. The other thing, of course, is that because of the nature of this final day and six teams going into it knowing they could go down... We knew that although in theory fate was in everyone's own hands, well, in theory, in practice, fate was in everyone's own hands. You win, you survive. End of story. Mm. We knew that the likelihood is it would involve some combinations. Mm. Right, so, for example, fate was in Vardalith and Getafe's fans, well, in Vardalith's case, because if they won, well, they didn't. They got a draw. Now, a draw was enough for Getafe, so in that sense, it had been in the hands. But Valencia, for example, for a lot of the game, weren't doing what they needed to do. Almeria weren't doing what they needed to do. Celta, in the first 40 minutes or so, I thought there was a chance watching it, the nervousness, mm. that they were going to get beaten heavily, heavily by Barcelona. Not just beaten, but really quite comfortably beaten. Frank Cassier scored early on and it was ruled out for a millimetric offside decision. And uh, <laughs> it felt like the whole stadium just went completely silent when he scored. It was, honestly, it was exactly like that. Um, <laughs> I, I, know, I know there is something sort of a little bit simplistic and, and maybe slightly cliched of, of the sort of expressing this idea of silence falling but I don't think I've been in a ground for quite a long time I'm trying to think of an example there must be some but I can't off the top of my head think of one where the sense of silence falling Mm. like a shutter Mm. boom like that Mm. was extraordinary the whole place went Mm. shit (laughs) Um, and it took it took it took it took about a minute and a half for that goal to be ruled out for a minute and a half. And, and I am counting this. I mean, people will say, strictly speaking, no, because the goal isn't given until it's given. But it had been given. For a minute and a half, they are in the relegation zone. Mm. For a minute and a half, they are... Because three teams ended up in the relegation zone on the final day and Celta were one of them for that minute and a half. They then continue to have Barcelona dominate possession. Frank Kessier misses an extraordinarily easy header at the far post. Yes. Like a re- it's a really, really, really bad miss. Mm. And at that point, you're thinking, poof. Celta are getting away with this here. Mm. And so the sense of occasion, I think, I think, I think meant I was pleased for it. The other thing is, of course, bear in mind that we were talking about this, weren't we? Was it, would it be Vardalith against Getafe or the Celta game? We didn't even contemplate the possibility that Espanyol would do that to Almeria and that Almeria would be the team who, who would find themselves in that kind of trouble. Uh, it was a, a, a thrilling game at Cornellà, which Almeria... They took a, they took an early lead, but then they found themselves trailing two one. Then they got it back to two uh, two. Then they were three two down, and then this penalty, which was given in the eighty seventh minute, initially uh, Ramazani was booked for diving, and then there was a, a VAR check, and the referee went and saw, and there was contact, and the penalty was given, and it was uh, dispatched by Adrian Barba, who stepped up and showed that he had pretty big, um, pretty pretty big self confidence. Yeah. Pretty big yeah. guts to. Uh, so, so to I give you the it. numbers. You, you know, you know, I lo- you know, I love the numbers. You do. I'll give you the, the you know the ti- the timing numbers. So, uh, uh, Ramazani goes down on eighty two forty four. It takes more than a minute for the referee to to even be persuaded to go and look at the screen. He spends about half a minute looking at the screen, which isn't long in fairness. Comes away at eighty four twenty eight and pots points to the spot. It takes until, until eighty six fifty two. Hmm. So basically, more than four minutes have gone for Imbaba to take it. Some of that time is spent. With Ramazani saying to Mbaba that he wants it. Hmm. With then Ramazani getting in a, in a confrontation with some of the, the Espanol players. With a card coming out, I think for Ramazani, but I'm not sure. It's just kind of flashing the direction of, of, of a little crowd. Hmm. And you've got Mbaba standing there with a ball in his hand at this point. Mm-hmm. Watching time go by and the pressure growing. And you think, my, because you, you've said it there, you know, someone with big 
nerves, big balls, you know, the, 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 the kind of the courage to take this on. But it's made worse by the fact that time is going. Now, I, um, I only discovered this right at the end of writing today, and I sort of wish I'd known it sooner because it was a lovely, be a lovely way of framing this. There's a member of the coaching staff at Almeria who, when, the, when Mbaba is finally standing on the spot, decides he can't bear it. He, he knows that they've got a really bad record from the, from the spot. He goes down the tunnel because he doesn't want to watch. <laughs> so the moment his team basically saves themselves, he doesn't see it happen because he's so terrified. And, and, I think and they, they score, a, and they, they a lot of Almeria fans who didn't watch that penalty. I mean, there was. So I'm sure much, there were. Yeah, so I don't know how many members of staff there would have been. Yeah. I don't know how many members of staff there would have been. And they, they, it, it took me a while to click on this as well. But they focused two or three times um, on the same fan in the stands, and then it, it was Lucia Villalon. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it occurred to me. It took me a long time. I was like, that face looks really familiar. And then I realised it was actually the wife of Gonzalo Maledo. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 Almeria midfielder, and she went through the. The sort of the whole the whole range of emotions, didn't she? There was one point where you could see in in the way that she responded that it, it was like she because there was someone alongside it. It was like she was to, alongside her. It was like she was sort of saying to her, "I just actually can't take this anymore. Yes. I, I, I don't want this anymore. Please yes. just 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 stop it." Yes. <laughs> uh, I used to work with her at Real Madrid TV, and it was uh, yeah quite funny seeing her pop up and then oh there's Lucia and then ah yeah obviously she's Gonzalo Valero's wife yeah in floods of tears like many Almeria fans I'm sure were at them staying up via the lead going down nil nil at home to Getafe in a game where they did not manage a shot on target there's only one shot on target in the home whole game it was from Jaime Mata uh, of uh, Getafe I don't know man I don't think that. I think people in Valladolid were pretty damning of the team's effort yesterday. They went down without a whimper. And if you give it your all and then you come up short, then fine. But yesterday, it just felt that Valladolid just didn't go out and give it their all. And I think that's what's most disappointing for, for Valladolid fans. Yeah, I, I, I think... Let me, let me take you to, to what I, I... At least, you know, this is obviously from the fact that I am in Vigo. Um, but I think it's a, it's, it's a nice way of kind of framing it. Uh, speaking to Renato Tapia after the game, and I said to him, look, how aware are you of what's going on in the other games? Because obviously in this scenario where in theory you've got six, well in theory, in practice you've got six teams and you're saying to them, if you win, you survive. Ignore everything else. If you win, if you survive. And he said, every player you ask, I quite like the honesty post-game, he said, every player you ask will say, no, no, we're just focusing on our game. He said, that's bullshit. Mm. He was speaking in English, by the way. He said, that is bullshit. He said, of course you're watching it. And then Iago Aspas admitted that he was watching on a phone on the, t- on the bench in the mm-hmm. first half. Who? He said, when he got to half-time, he couldn't take... Iago Aspas, Barry Who? Aspas. Oh, was, sorry, yeah. Bar- Barry was saying he was on the bench watching it in the first half on a, on a phone, watching the, presumably he was watching multi-goal. Hmm. Um, and he said, he said at half-time he couldn't take it anymore, so he left the, left the phone in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. And also because Celta were winning, so at that point maybe it is taken away from you. Anyway, the reason I raise this now, because obviously I've taken you back to Vigo when, when we're, we're actually talking about Valladolid, is I just wonder, I just wonder if Valladolid's approach might have been different if they hadn't been in that position where they thought that someone else was going to do it for them. Um, because if you look yeah, at the... okay, but, you know, come on, you can't... No, no, I'm not saying it's an excuse. No, no, no I'm not no. saying it's an excuse. I'm, I'm saying, is this, is this part of the problem? Mm. Is part of the problem allowing yourself to be drawn into that? Um, because if you look at the numbers, obviously, and I, I did work this out earlier as, again, I love doing the, the timings. 
Almeria were in the relegation zone, I think, for 24 minutes. Two little spells, one of sort of eight minutes and one of, you know, one of 14 or 16 or something like that, roughly. But they would have known that and everybody knows that. And I just wonder if that, that's not the excuse, but it takes some of the urgency out of it. And I agree with you. I felt that this... You're, right, you're up against a team like Getafe who are really difficult to break down. A team like Getafe who try and make it so that nothing happens in the game. And this is particularly noticeable. If you watch... And do the numbers, which I did, because again, as we've established, I'm very sad like this. The, the time added on, six minutes were added on. They eventually play seven minutes and uh, I think 19 seconds. And they actually get a corner, which they're not given the chance to take. Hmm. Which I personally think is a bit out of order. But, you know, the time is up when it's up, I suppose. But if you watch those seven minutes and 19 seconds, I counted them. I think it was four goal kicks. All of them took at least 30 seconds. I think it's four players on the floor in those seven minutes. Well, Basically, yeah. nothing happens in those. And, and, but what I mean is, and so it, it Sorry, can but, be I hard. Mean, but just you, said, you said Viadoli had a corner kick, which they didn't have a chance to take that. Just before that, they had a free kick, which the goalkeeper had come oh, up that was, for. That was, and they didn't stick absurd. the ball in the box. I was screaming at the TV. It was absurd. Yeah. It was bizarre, wasn't it? I mean, they take it short, and Ramazani kind of runs into a position where you think, OK, they're now. And he seems to Not change Ramazani, his mind. Gonzalo Plata. Sorry, I've got two teams mixed up. From, yeah, the two yes. minutes, sorry. Gonzalo Plata, yeah. Who, who actually, by the way, almost scored a goal. The goal to have rescued yeah, yeah, them would have been outrageous, yeah. that curler. But I agree with you. There was this sense, and as I say, I don't know if it's connected to the idea that you're connected to the other games, that they, despite the fact that Getafe are a really difficult team to break down, they are a team that take the momentum out of the game, they are a team that, that, that piss you off. But even if it's just through being pissed off, where is the point... Oh, which they go, you know what? And they put El Yamik up front, but they put him up front in like the 82nd minute or something. They mm. do it really late. Mm. Where is the point when they say, you know what? Sod this. We mm. go for it like mad, like mm. absolutely mad, no matter what. And that sort of didn't happen. And I don't want to make this about the construction of the club and all that sort of stuff, because I think that would probably be a bit simplistic. But, but you look at what they did. When they sacked um, Pacheta, Eight wins, four draws, and 15 defeats. That's after 28 games. So there's 10 games to go. Without Pacheta, three wins, three draws, and five defeats. Now, it's essentially the same ratio, more or less. It's not a million miles off being, being basically the same ratio in terms of roughly how many you're winning and how many you're losing. So nothing really improved, given that Petzolana, if you look at that, one of those is against Barcelona. And I think we've seen that actually the league can be influenced by when you play teams. Because I don't think Celta beat Barcelona last night if, they're, if Barcelona are playing for the league title. I don't think Valladolid beat Barcelona as they did, what was it, two weeks ago, 15 days ago, if Barcelona are playing for the title. And we, I think we've seen this in a few other, one or two other results as well. And I think, did you notice last night, I thought it was very pointed. Ruby said something like, Espanyol played with a dignity that I don't know mm. that other teams yeah. had. Yeah. And I thought that was a very pointed remark. Mm. It was. Uh, okay, I'm... Um Conscious of the fact that I want to move on and squeeze in a quick chat about Osasuna, who finished seventh. Yes. Uh, what a tremendous season they've had, narrowly beaten in the final of the Copa del Rey by Real Madrid and making their way into Europe for the first time in 16 years. It's been an extraordinary season. And it feels, I mean, the Conference League feels like a good fit for them. I think I think they'll take it seriously. I think they'll give it a good go. And, you know, it'll be great to see European football at, at one of the, the best and noisiest stadiums in Spain. So, overall, just, you know, a big tick by Osasuna. What a tremendous job they've done. I absolutely love the comment from Jagoba Arrasate yesterday, the manager after the game. And he said that when we played the Copa del Rey final against Real Madrid, everyone... Now, to be fair, he doesn't mean everyone. He means everyone who, who thought they might have a European chance. Mm. Everyone wanted us to lose 
to create a seventh place for European football, to give an extra chance for other people to get into Europe with that seventh place. He said, thing is, it turned out we got seventh place. <laughs> and at that point, none of us really thought that was possible. And I'm really glad that they got it. That having been denied the European place through the Copa del Rey final, they got it. Not just because of that, but also because of everything that Osasuna have stood for in the last few years. It stood for stability when a manager isn't getting good results. They've stood for building a stadium that works for fans, including things like rail seating so that people can stand. They've, they've got um, this year, I think I'm right in saying they've got nine youth team products in their first team squad this year. They have they play really exciting football. All right, it's been a bit more defensive this year than in previous seasons, but they're direct. They go for you. They're very honest. They have a manager who I think handles everything that goes with it with a, with a normality that I really admire. I I think they are an absolutely massive success story this year, and and yeah, I, I think I think Arasati for me manager is of the manager season. of the season. Yeah. Although, although, although Mendeley Bar and and certainly Imanol have put in incredibly strong claims as well. I think Imanol might be just behind him, uh, but we should also mention uh, what a tremendous job he's done and Real Sociedad back in the Champions League uh, after a decade absence. I was doing the math, Sydney, because I was writing a bit about them earlier today, and you mentioned that they've got nine youth team products in the first team squad, Osasuna. Do you know how many players have come through the youth academy and played for Real Sociedad this this season? I'm going to go for 19. It's, eight, it's 18. 18 of, the tw- eight, eight, 18 of the 27 players that are fe- outfield players yeah. that are featured for uh, uh, Real Sociedad. It's just extraordinary. Co- and 13 of those, Sid, 13 of those are from the province of Guipúzcoa, which is the smallest yeah. province in Spain. And yeah. it has produced a ridiculous number of, of players capable of competing uh, in the top flight. So a shout out to uh, Real Sociedad and, and what but, they've achieved. But well. not just the players... Not just the players, well, the manager right, as well. Expand yeah. it. Yeah, you, you've got the manager there. You've got you've got um, Arteta at Arsenal. Unai Emery. You've got and and Inola, Unai Emery, Julian Lopetegui. Uh, Arasate started his coaching badges with the Gipuzkoan Football Federation. So even though he's from the other side of the border, from Bizkaia, he he, he develops as a coach. There. It's extraordinary. <laughs> It Absolutely is. brilliant. I don't know what's in the water up there, but it's um, it, it's working. So yeah, well, Pratran, I think, <laughs> <laughs> or Chakoli. Uh, congratulations to uh, to Real Sociedad. Um, that's just about all we've got time for. Uh, just before we go, a quick mention of the uh, Segunda in the promotion playoff first legs: Abar and Alaves drew one one at Ipurua, and Levante won three one at Albacete. The second legs are on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and congratulations to Barca Femini, who won the UEFA Women's Champions League on Saturday. They came from 2-0 down to beat Wolfsburg 3-2. So uh, massive congratulations uh, to them and uh, everything that they've achieved. Um, that's it for another season of TSFP. Our 10th, Sydney, our 10th season of TSFP wow. has, has come to an end. It's been, it's been long, but it's been enjoyable. And we thank you very much for accompanying us on the uh, ride. If you'd like to continue to listen to our dulcet tones over the summer, maybe by the pool, on the beach, wherever you are uh, this summer, you can do so. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We'll be producing content over there uh, throughout the summer. And if you don't want that, you want a little break from us, it's okay. We understand. Uh, but we'll be back uh, in August for the... For the next season, and we'll see what what happens. Wow. But uh, if I were you, okay, it's in my interest that you sign up for Patreon. Ovs, cool, we make money off it. You know, cards on the table here. But I think it's going to be a very interesting summer. 
I think it's going to be a very interesting summer in Spain. So if you are even remotely interested in what's going on here, maybe yeah. it might be a good idea to sign up to Patreon because I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Anyway, thanks very much, amigos, for the support and uh, we'll speak soon. Adios. Cheerio. Network.